0: series of podcasts about the stories of the Tudors. My name's Tony Riches and I'm a historical fiction author from Pembrokeshire in Wales and a specialist in the history of the Tudors. This podcast is the third in a series of three looking at the life of Queen Elizabeth I. I've followed the stories of the Tudors from the first meeting between Owen Tudor and the widowed Queen Catherine of Valois and I'm now working on an Elizabethan series which explores the different facets of Elizabeth's complex personality through the eyes of her favourites and courtiers. In this podcast, I'm exploring what Elizabeth really looked like and how much of what we know of her is a reflection of her own carefully controlled image or the prejudices of later historians. The main primary sources are the many portraits of Elizabeth and also the descriptions of the queen by her contemporaries and most of the portraits show a pale-faced woman with reddish-gold hair yet each artist has captured a slightly different image of her and some are not even immediately recognizable as elizabeth although many portraits of elizabeth survive the records suggest she didn't pose for many of them and if she disliked a particular portrait, she would order it destroyed. Her Secretary of State, Sir Robert Cecil, said, Many painters have done portraits of the Queen, but none has sufficiently shown her looks or charms. Therefore, Her Majesty commands all manner of persons to stop doing portraits of her until a clever painter has finished one, which all the other painters can copy her Majesty, in the meantime, forbids the showing of any portraits which are ugly until they are improved. This gives us some idea of how, like her father, Elizabeth completely understood the importance and power of how she was portrayed to her subjects and for posterity. So what can we glean from these portraits We can be fairly sure Elizabeth's hair was like her father's the Tudor reddish gold and as a girl Elizabeth I was tall and slender with a tiny waist and the surviving gloves suggest quite slender hands. It seems she physically resembled her mother Anne Boleyn with a long oval face, an olive tinged complexion and dark brown eyes. Her nose could have been hooked in the middle and her lips seemed thin, her cheekbones pronounced and her hair was probably naturally curly and she may have had freckles on her pale skin but like all Elizabethan ladies she would have taken care to avoid the sun on her face and the makeup she wore would have protected her skin. We have to remember that white skin was fashionable in Tudor times as it distinguished the rich from the poor. If a person had white skin, it showed that he or she didn't have to work for a living outdoors anyway. And the problem with most of the descriptions is that ambassadors in particular might have been trying to flatter the queen or tell their masters what they wanted to hear. When Elizabeth was 25, the Venetian ambassador Giovanni Michel, described her, My lady Elizabeth is a young woman whose mind is considered no less excellent than her person, although her face is comely rather than handsome, but she is tall and well-formed with good skin, though swarthy, she has fine eyes. Make of that what you will, but uh, the, the dour Scottish diplomat Sir James Melville who we have to remember was uh, sent to broker a peace between Elizabeth and Mary, Queen of Scots, originally. Um, In his memoirs, he described the young queen's hair as more reddish than yellow and curled in appearance naturally. The Elizabethan historian Sir John Hayward wrote that the young queen was slender and straight, her hair inclined to pale yellow, her forehead large and fair, but her eyes lively and sweet, but short-sighted, her nose somewhat rising in the midst, her countenance was somewhat long, but yet of admirable beauty, in a most delightful composition of majesty and modesty. Frankly, I think the last bit is clearly meant to please the Queen, although she later had Sir John locked up in the tower, where he sadly remained until her death. Perhaps the best-known description of Elizabeth in older age is by André Hérard-sur-de-Mace, the French ambassador to Elizabeth's court. And when the Queen was 65 years old in 1597, he was led into the Queen's privy chamber and wrote... At the head of which was the Queen, seated in a low chair by herself, and withdrawn from all the lords and ladies that were present, they being in one place and she in another. After I had made my reverence at the entry to the chamber, she rose and came five or six paces towards me, almost into the middle of the chamber. I kissed the fringe of her robe, and she embraced me with both hands. She looked at me kindly and began to excuse herself that she had not sooner given me an audience, saying that the day before she'd been very ill, with a gathering on the right side of her face, which I should never have thought, seeing her eyes and face, but she did not remember ever to have been so ill before. She was strangely attired, in a dress of silver cloth, white and crimson, or silver gauze, as they call it. This dress had slashed sleeves lined with red taffeta and was girt about with other little sleeves that hung down to the ground, which she was forever twisting and untwisting. She kept the front of her dress open and one could see the whole of her bosom and passing low and often she would open the front of this robe with her hands as if she was too hot. The colour of the robe was very high and the lining of the inner part all adorned with little pendants of rubies and pearls. Very many but quite small. She also had a chain of rubies and pearls around her neck and on her head she wore a garland of the same material and beneath it a great reddish coloured wig with a great number of spangles of gold and silver and hanging down over her forehead some pearls, but of no great worth. On either side her ears had two great curls of hair, and almost down to her shoulders, within the collar of her robe, spangled as the top of her head. Her bosom is somewhat wrinkled, as well one can see for the collar that she wears around her neck, but lower down her flesh is exceeding white and delicate, so far as one could see. As for her face, it is and appears to be very aged. It is long and thin and her teeth are very yellow and unequal compared to what they were formerly, so they say. And on the left side, less than on the right. Many of them are missing, so that one cannot understand her easily when she speaks quickly. Her figure is fair and tall and graceful in whatever she does. So far as may be, she keeps her dignity, yet humbly and graciously withal. This is a great example of an often repeated and misunderstood description by an ambassador. Historian John Guy points out that the somewhat scandalous reference to seeing the whole of the Queen's bare bosom is actually a mistranslation, as the ambassador referred to her throat in the original document, he also makes her appear curiously shabby and absent-minded, although she clearly was neither. It is possible, as suggested by historian Stephen Verappen, that she sometimes used this tactic of pretended deference to foreign ambassadors to make it easier to get her way. Having said that, Paul Heintzner, a German lawyer um, who was travelling Europe and uh, wrote a long um, description of his travels. Had really little to gain and cared less for what the Queen might think once he got back to Germany. And he visited, amongst many other places in London, Greenwich Palace at the same time when the Queen was 65. And he wrote that next came the Queen, in the 65th year of her age, as we are told, very majestic her face oblong, fair, but wrinkled, her eyes small, yet black and pleasant, her nose a little hooked, her lips narrow, and her teeth black, a defect that English seem subject to from their too great use of sugar. She had in her ears two pearls, very rich drops, and she wore false hair, and that red upon her head she had a small crown, reported to be made of some gold of the celebrated Luneborg table. Her bosom was uncovered, as all the English ladies have it till they marry, and she had on a necklace of exceeding fine jewels. Her hands were small, her fingers long, and her stature neither tall nor low, but her air was stately, and her manner of speaking mild and obliging. That day she was dressed in white silk, bordered with pearls of the size of beans, and over it a mantle of black silk shot with silver threads. Her train was very long, and the end of it borne by a marchioness. Instead of a chain, she had an oblong collar of gold and jewels, and she went along in all this state and magnificent, and she spoke very graciously, first to one, then to another, whether foreign ministers or those who attended for different reasons, in English, French and Italian. For besides being well-skilled in Greek, Latin and the other languages I have mentioned, she is mistress of Spanish, Scotch and Dutch. Whoever speaks to her, it is kneeling. Now and then she raises some with her hand. This seems a good time to dispel some of the myths about how Elizabeth looked. It's often said that she had a pockmarked face, that she was bald, um, but mostly these statements can be traced back to her Catholic critics who probably never even saw her. And when Robert Devereux, the Earl of Essex, burst into her room, it said she was caught with her hair about her shoulders. Like many red haired people, it could have been thin and kept short under the impressive red wigs she liked to wear in later life. When the Virgin Queen died at the age of 69, the effigy for her tomb was cast from a death mask, and it's probably the closest you'll get to looking right into the eyes of this mysterious queen. I hope you found these three podcasts about Elizabeth I interesting, and perhaps they help you to look differently at some of the portrayals of her in fiction and even in documentaries. My next podcast will be looking at the amazing life of one of the Queen's most unlikely favourites, Devon Sailor Sir Francis Drake. My book, Drake Tudor Corsair, which is the first in the Elizabethan series, is available from Amazon in paperback and ebook. And more information about all of my books can be found on my website at tonyriches.com. Thank you for listening.